You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome back to Your Brain on Facts, two-parters on banned books. It's not strictly necessary that you listen to part one, but I think you'll really enjoy it. One ridiculous-sounding reason for books being challenged and banned earns its own category. Though they're a mainstay of folklore, fairy tales, and fantasy, talking animals are a deal-breaker for some people. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland has been banned in China for portraying anthropomorphized animals acting on the same level of complexity as human beings. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The censor general, Ho Qian, believed that attributing human language to animals was an insult to humans. He feared that the book would teach children to regard humans and animals on the same level, which would be disastrous. Charlotte's Web was banned in Kansas because talking animals were considered an insult to God. The talking animals is just one of the reasons that George Orwell's Animal Farm gets the ban hammer in places like Vietnam, North Korea, and the United Arab Emirates. The main reasons are usually its depiction of communism and its foul language. William Stieg's darling book, Sylvester and the Magic Pebble, is about an unassuming donkey transformed into a rock after finding a magic pebble as a be-careful-what-you-wish-for moral. The anthropomorphic animals didn't sit well with everyone, Police associations in 12 states urged libraries to remove the book because the police officers were depicted as pigs. Even the residents of the Hundred Acre Woods are considered an insult to God by some, resulting in the banning of Winnie the Pooh in parts of the United States. Piglet is a particular problem, as he is seen as being offensive to Muslims, getting the book banned in Turkey and even the UK. Then there are those who claim that Winnie the Pooh is actually about Nazism. And I don't even know where to start with that. Popular reasons for a book to be challenged include racial issues or language, violence, sex, glorifying drug use, normalizing homosexuality, age appropriateness, witchcraft, and anything deemed antithetical to Christian values. A lot of the books in our discussion were challenged, in part, out of parental fear that they would incite children to rebel, making them question and disobey authority. This protest comes up for such childhood classics as James and the Giant Peach, Harriet the Spy, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Captain Underpants, and two from Shel Silverstein, Where the Sidewalk Ends, and A Light in the Attic. But more about him in a minute. Fear of independent thought in one's progeny seems to diminish with time, but we still see this objection 
for books read by teenagers like Catcher in the Rye and Dead Poets Society, which I'll admit I didn't know was a book. An Illinois pastor complained that he found Dead Poets Society, quote, disturbing, very close to a strong, mild pornography. To me, the book represents a disrespectful attitude toward parents and their judgments. It shows rebellion toward teachers and has graphic, immoral areas. No wonder they made a movie out of it. Also, what qualifies as strong, mild pornography? If my gentle listener is emotionally ready to see Robin Williams again, check the show notes or the website for a link to the amazing Seize the Day remix. If the link isn't there, scream at me on our social media, facebook.com slash yourbrainonfacts, twitter.com slash moxielabouche, or even yell at me on Instagram, instagram.com slash yourbrainonfacts. A staff cartoonist for Playboy magazine, Shel Silverstein began writing children's books in the 1960s. From The Giving Tree to Falling Up, his style was laid back and conversational, with accompanying illustrations that bordered on the absurd. The American Library Association's case file of challenges brought against Silverstein's works reads like a comedy of errors, almost as absurd as the contents of his poems. Little Abigail and the Beautiful Pony, which tells of a child throwing a hissy fit that she'll die if she doesn't get a pony, was banned from second-grade classes in Huffman, Texas, because a mom protested that it exposed children to the horrors of suicide. A McWanago, Wisconsin school banned A Light in the Attic because it glorified Satan, suicide, and cannibalism. Multiple schools in Florida banned it for containing violence and encouraging rebellion. One very specific complaint was lodged that it encourages children to break dishes so they won't have to dry them. Where the sidewalk ends was yanked from shelves in another Wisconsin school district over fears that it promotes drug use, the occult, suicide, death, violence, disrespect for truth, disrespect for authority, and rebellion against parents. Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania schools objected to the poem Dreadful over the line Someone Ate the Baby because they feared some of their impressionable students would actually be encouraged to try cannibalism. If you've ever acted out something from a Shel Silverstein poem, please post it to your social media and tag us. And add the hashtag BannedBooksWeek. Why not? If you've ever acted out something from a Shel Silverstein poem, please post it to your social media and tag us. By the way, if my gentle listener is a fair hand at research, feel free to look into the question of why they couldn't find a better picture of Silverstein for the back of his books. Let me know and I'll have you on the show. Well-meaning, pearl-clutching parents may be doing their children a disservice by trying to remove issues from their environment rather than helping their children to understand and interpret them. The controversial book-turned-Netflix series 13 Reasons Why wherein a fictional teen makes 13 tapes explaining her upcoming suicide, has been a target of censorship since it was first published in 2007. A Colorado school district banned the novel, saying it glamorized suicide. In Ontario, Canada, the story was pulled from school libraries for its negative portrayal of helping professionals. In Alberta, any discussion of the book was prohibited. Parents and school districts worried the series would promote what's called 
suicide contagion. Author Jay Asher is concerned that hiding this issue away may make things harder for teenagers. He said in an interview with PBS, I never understood the power of having books written about your experience, whatever that experience may be, until I wrote one and started hearing from teens. I just got an email from a reader who said that 13 Reasons Why was the first time they felt understood. A book shouldn't be anybody's first time feeling understood, and that's where censorship bothers me. These books need to be out there. A lot of authors see their books being banned or challenged as a badge of honor. But for me, it's nothing but frustrating and upsetting. I hear from readers and now viewers of the Netflix show that my work encouraged them to ask for help or to reach out to someone about the situation they're in. When you hear stories like that on a daily basis, and then you hear adults call for your work to be banned, it's proof of why the stigma around these issues is so dangerous. Some challenges give you the impression that people were expecting something else from the book, essentially not judging the book by its cover. Especially with the cover of Two Boys Kissing by David Levitan, which shows two boys kissing. The story is about two boys trying to set a Guinness record for the longest kiss. It's been challenged not only for depicting homosexuality, but for condoning public displays of affection. The person who wrote that complaint should get some kind of award. A Milwaukee, Wisconsin parent wanted the biography Whoopi Goldberg, her journey from poverty to megastardom, removed from the high school library because it contains curse words. They are possibly unfamiliar with Ms. Goldberg's body of work. And the fact that their high schooler already knows all of the swear words. The school board refused to remove the book, acknowledging some shocking language but also noting Goldberg's charity work and the book's strong anti-drug message. With a name like Big Hard Sex Criminals, you know it's got to be good. And banned. If the title weren't warning enough, the back cover is embossed with big gold letters. For mature readers. Duh. It's a graphic novel about a couple who stop time when they orgasm so they can rob banks. Three guesses what parents objected to, and the last two don't count. The same goes for Chuck Palahniuk's Fight Club, yes, the one the movie's based on, and Tom Wolfe's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. The title, The Day No Pigs Would Die, by Robert Newton Peck, should have made it no surprise that there was going to be animal-oriented violence and other shenanigans of nature. Even still, parents cited those chiefly among the reasons that landed the book in the American Library Association's Top 100 for the previous decade. One teacher in Utica, New York, was having none of this foolishness, and actually quit her job after the school banned the book. I was in the middle of editing today's episode when I realized I forgot to record a review the first time around. So let's make it a double, because I got reviews from two of my favorite podcasts. The Strange Animals podcast, which is a must for any animal lover, says, The content is always interesting and well-researched, and I love Moxie's voice. And my friend Brisky from over at the Turn of Phrases podcast, great if you've ever wondered why we say the strange things that we say. She says, I love learning and laughing. 
This podcast helps me do both. It's entertaining and exciting and makes your brain smarter. What's not to love? What not indeed? So when you're done with this episode, gentle listener, do check out the Strange Animals and Turn of Phrases podcasts. Reviews are greatly appreciated because they help to make your brain on facts more likely to be found by people searching for podcasts. But the very best way to help us out is to share the podcast on your social media. Don't worry about making a post for it. Just pop over to our Facebook or Twitter and share the pinned post of this episode. Some challenges and bannings seem obvious with the benefit of hindsight. You could hardly come up with a better example than Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange. It was removed from high schools in Colorado and Massachusetts for objectionable language and removed but later reinstated on a restricted basis in Alabama and other areas. Objections to Clockwork Orange weren't limited to schools and libraries either. In 1973, a bookseller in Orem, Utah, was arrested for selling the novel. The charges were later dropped, but the bookseller found themselves forced to close their store and relocate to another city. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. I also host the number one sleep podcast in the world called Sleep Cove, where millions drift off to meditations, hypnosis, and bedtime stories. We soon realised that listeners wanted to hear our mystery stories all in one place. So we created Mysteries at Midnight, where you can listen to all new tales every week. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast app and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. So why don't you pick a story now? And can you guess the twist? Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Things done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Many a challenge or banning has been the textbook definition of ironic. Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 is a novel about the future and the banning and burning of books. It was banned because one of the books that gets burned is the Bible. The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank is the incredible first-hand account of an ever-hopeful Jewish girl 
who was eventually killed in the Holocaust, but never stopped believing in the basic goodness of mankind. It was banned by the Alabama State Textbook Committee in 1983 for being, quote, a real downer. I'd hate to see how they choose the history books. Even books made for the wee ones find themselves in the crosshairs. The Family Book by Todd Parr looks like it was illustrated in crayon, but that didn't charm the eerie Illinois school that objected to the line, Some families have two moms or two dads. The Roll Doll classic, James and the Giant Peach, was banned from elementary schools in Lufkin, Texas, because it contains the word ass. The Little Bill book series has come under fire in the past few years, not for its content, but for its author, Bill Cosby, once-beloved TV dad who has been revealed to be a sexual predator. Again, this is only a half-hour show, and we can't get into the question of separating the art from the artist. Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree has come under fire since it was first published, for everything from its ambiguous moral to being sexist, criminalizing the forestry industry, an accusation that also plagued Dr. Seuss's The Lorax, to the subtext of bad parenting. Not because we never see the boy's parents provide for him, but because the tree is portrayed as a mother who spoils him. A lovely book about penguins hatching an egg and raising a chick, called And Tango Makes Three, by Justin Richardson and Peter Parnell, caused righteous indignation when it was published in 2005, because the adult penguins are both male. Before we go any further, this is based on a true story. Tango is the story of a family of penguins living in the Central Park Zoo in New York, where a bonded pair of males were given an untended egg for the nest they had built together. Tango made the American Library Association's top 10 banned books five years in a row for its depiction of homosexuality and gender roles, age-appropriateness of the material, and raising the question of what makes a family. Many librarians kept the book available by moving it to a different location, like moving it from picture books to non-fiction. Oh yeah, did I mention this repeatedly challenged book is a picture book? If you've had a child in the last 15 years, there's probably at least one Captain Underpants book somewhere in your house. This series, that follows the adventures of two prank-loving young boys who created a superhero called Captain Underpants, actually gets challenged and banned more often than Fifty Shades of Grey. Some parents object to the references to underwear, naturally, the protagonists referring to their principal as a mean old man, and the boys beating up a robot with bits of wood. It all seems like sound and fury amounting to nothing in this reporter's opinion. How can you not love a book that opens with, Some material in this book may be considered offensive by people who don't wear underwear. Let's hope the old adage, even bad publicity is good publicity, holds true, because if you're writing a book for young readers about LGBTQ acceptance, you're going to be getting a lot of it. I Am Jazz is Jazz Jennings' autobiographical picture book of a child that is, quote, born with a girl's brain in a boy's body. It's become something of a gold standard for teaching children and families about transsexuality. It raised controversy in Rockland, California, after a transgender kindergarten student gave some books about her situation to her teacher, and the teacher read them to the class. 
some parents complained to the school board about being blindsided, despite having been sent a written notice. The district responded that the books were age-appropriate, fell within the book selection policy, and that unlike sex education, the topic of gender identity did not require prior parental notice. However, the superintendent conceded that staff will be engaging parents and teachers in discussions about how materials outside our curriculum will be addressed in the future. I Am Jazz was not read as planned in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin schools after the Florida-based Liberty Council threatened to sue. The group describes itself as a non-profit litigation, education, and policy organization with an emphasis on religious liberty whereas the Southern Poverty Law Center describes them as a hate group that advocates for anti-LGBT discrimination. Alex Gino's George tells the story of a child who is born as George, but comes out as Melissa to her best friend, and eventually to others, through the help of a school play. Five elementary schools in Eastern Oregon withdrew from an annual statewide Battle of the Books competition because of the inclusion of George on the reading list. The book carries an age recommendation of grades 3 through 7, but the school's principals argued it was not appropriate for their 3rd through 5th grade students participating in the competition. My Princess Boy by Cheryl Killa-Davis was inspired by the author's son, who enjoys wearing girl clothes even while doing traditionally boy things, and her journey to understand and accept him. The Public Library of Granbury, Texas received more than 50 challenge forms, at least one of which claimed that this book and another title, This Day in June about LGBT history, endorse the gay lifestyle and encourage perversion. Library director Courtney Kincaid moved This Day in June to the nonfiction section, but refused to remove the books. Lesbians and gays are in this community, and they deserve to have items in this collection. City Councilwoman Rose Myers objected that if the books weren't moved from sections where children might see them, they should be removed from the library entirely. Can a four-year-old understand the content of this book without the help of an adult? In my opinion, no. To which I would counter with the question, what does a four-year-old understand on their own? They still poop their pants regularly. This literary lather took place in Hood County, which made headlines the same week when a county clerk refused to issue marriage licenses for same-sex couples. The book Stonewall, The Riots That Sparked the Gay Revolution by David Carter is noteworthy in today's discussion for going into institutions during controversy. In May 2005, the Oklahoma House of Representatives passed a resolution calling on public libraries to remove children's books with references to gay characters or families. In response, gay and lesbian civil rights groups in Oklahoma donated copies of Stonewall to local high schools. The donation was met with conservative outcry, but the Oklahoma City School Board voted to accept the donations. This isn't the only occurrence of government bodies taking on LGBTQ books. Republican lawmaker Gerald Allen proposed Alabama House Bill 30 which would have banned public school libraries from purchasing books with gay characters or by gay authors. A proposed ban in Arkansas would have barred any representation of gay and lesbian people in schools, libraries, and state-funded universities.
Republican State Representative Sally Kern from Oklahoma supported House Resolution 1039, which would have required libraries to, quote, confine homosexually themed books and other age-inappropriate materials to areas exclusively for adult access. The bill also required that no public funds be used in the distribution of such materials to children. Thankfully, none of these made it into law. Good luck to you if you're LGBTQ or an ally in Fayetteville, Arkansas, or even a young person with questions about their body. The group Parents Protecting the Minds of Children has challenged 55 books in their area. I found repeated references to the number of books being 55, but I haven't found a single list. One that I know was challenged was Marion Bowers' Am I Blue? Coming Out from the Silence, a collection of short stories about growing up gay or lesbian, or with gay or lesbian parents and friends. Parents Protecting the Minds of Children was having none of it, not only because of the subject matter, but because proceeds from the sale of the book went to PFLAG, Parents and Friends of Gays and Lesbians. The PPMC's GeoCities Looking website, which is difficult to navigate, claims PPMC is trying to reach an equitable solution with school officials from all perspectives. Our objective is not to remove any books from the library, it is simply to enforce our parental right to choose for our children. They seem particularly ruffled by Robbie Harris's It's Perfectly Normal, which contains straight talk and frank illustrations about puberty, masturbation, and sex. It's a bit like 1977's Where Did I Come From?, without which having been loaned to me by my friend Stacy, I would have continued woefully unfamiliar with basic human anatomy and reproduction well into high school. I'm not saying this is because I was raised Catholic, but I'm not not saying that. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. We'll end this two-parter with the face-palmiest reasons for a book being challenged in the United States, and both of them on the same book. At one point, The Wizard of Oz was banned from all public libraries in Chicago because of its ungodly influence for depicting women in strong leadership roles. In 1957, the Detroit Public Library banned the book for having no value for children of today. How about you let us decide what we and our children should read? Thanks for spending part of your day with me. This is normally where I'd include a word that sounds dirty but isn't, or a word that just kind of makes people cringe, but I've run out. So head on over to our social media and tell me the words you would like to inflict on other listeners. history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts